Growing up, my family would take a one-week summer vacation every August. Aunts, uncles, grandparents, cousins, certainly my immediate family, all of us who lived all over Cincinnati, Ohio, we would get into our various sedans and minivans, and we would drive to Hilton Head, South Carolina. That is a good 10 to 12-hour drive that would be done by everybody in one day. And what do you imagine was the single most dreaded question my parents had of us three boys as we were sitting there in the back seat? Are we there yet? My parents worked diligently to avoid us ever even thinking about that question. They, they bought one of those mini TVs that could sort of sit between their two seats in the front, and they put the VHS tapes into that Disney movie after Disney movie to keep our minds away for as long as possible from that singular question that would always race back into our heads if there was no distraction. Are we there yet? The funny thing, though, is that once every family unit had arrived from Cincinnati to Hilton Head Island and begun to catch up after the long day's car ride, I still remember how each of the adults, right off the the bat, would have a conversation that would go like this. So so when did you all get in? How how long did it take you? Yeah, when did did you get off in the morning? There's something about so many of us that is continually and even intensely curious about time and how long things take and and when we can expect to arrive and to finish and to have things complete. Lord, is, is this the time when you will restore the kingdom to Israel? The disciples asked Jesus in our passage in Acts chapter 1. The time when when the kingdom of Israel is restored to its splendor and its glory that it once knew under King David many centuries ago. Under under King David, all the 12 tribes of Israel were united. Under, Under King David, Israel was a formidable military power and other powers came to them and to Jerusalem to pay homage and tribute to such power. And then when Mary is pregnant with Jesus, the angel tells Mary that this Jesus in Luke chapter 1 will be given, quote, the throne of David. Well, at this point in Acts chapter 1, Jesus has overcome even death itself. And so it's not unreasonable to ask, is now the time when yesterday's great kingdom for which we ache is now today's new great kingdom, Israel, under you, the new King David? Much as we see with significant events that occur in every generation, this pandemic has brought about renewed talk of things like the end of the world. Disease, significant drought in some places, locusts swarming in parts of Africa, 17-year cicada returning. People put all these various pieces together and wondered forthright, is this the time? And even if that sort of talk hasn't captured our interest, I I do think one could argue that one of the most single, most discussed and debated issues of our time is time. When will we return to work, to stores, to church properties, to, to school and family rhythms, to a certain way of life? 
And, and, and how long will it, will it take? When was the first time that you opened up with this? And, and, and what did it look like when you first went out to the park again? And what, I mean, take a moment and consider how many of our conversations in the recent days have been about time. And the question involved when or how long, or those questions were right underneath the entire conversation. Jesus replied, it is not for you to know the times or periods that the Father has set by his own authority. It echoes the same sentiment Jesus shared with his disciples in the Gospel of Matthew. No one knows about the day or the hour, not even the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. Jesus is frustratingly unwilling to give us any kind of understanding about when. And in many ways, he dismisses idle speculation about such matters altogether. Why? I mean, what would be so wrong if Jesus could be a little more clear from time to time about time? I mean, I know in Matthew's gospel, Jesus tells us he can't share about the time because he himself, the son, does not know. But, but what about the risen Jesus in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 1? Why doesn't he just tell the disciples, you better believe it's time. And, and capture that inevitable momentum that such a pronouncement would make. And I think Jesus keeps the times from us for at least two reasons, maybe many reasons, but at least two reasons that are discernible from our text. And one of those reasons is because our desire to know when is often a desire to cling to a timeline rather than to God for our peace. I remember last fall, I came in from Richmond, Virginia to Georgetown for, for just a couple of days so I, that I could be examined by Mission Presbytery as part of my, the call process to serve as pastor of this congregation. The examination was to take place at the Presbytery offices in San Antonio at 11.30 a.m. on a Tuesday morning, and the plan was for some from the pastor nominating committee of this church to, to accompany me on this trip as, as support with the examination. Well, we split up into a couple different cars, and I was in the car that Demery Jackson was driving. And I want to say we got on the road to San Antonio, maybe a little after 8 a.m. or so on Tuesday morning, and we're rolling along I-35 just fine until we hit Round Rock. And then, Demery, if you're watching, you recall how we did not just slow down at Round Rock. I'm fairly confident she put the car... the the vehicle in park at least a couple of times because there was just nowhere to move. It was no less than a 45 to 60 minute endeavor to get through that six mile stretch because of some kind of wreck on I-35. And look, I was still in the midst of this call process. This wasn't necessarily a done deal. There was an examination to do. And so I'm playing it cool. No big deal if we're a little late for these 10 to 12 folks who've come from all over Texas to interview me. No big deal if we have no idea how long this will take before it lets up. No big deal that we're so boxed in the highway right now that we can't even get off and, and, and try to find another route. But inside, inside, I was flipping out. I was an anxious 
mess. I'm sure Demarie could, could tell, but, but basically once we were no longer following the timeline, I quickly sensed the loss of control regarding the whole situation, and my anxiety skyrocketed without me ever even asking. It just did. And for me, it exposed again just how much I often need things to happen according to certain dates and times because that gives me a certain sense of control or order or I at least need to be able to get off the highway and find my own route to gain again a sense of control. Or put another way, this whole thing exposed how much my sense of peace is tied to things being on time rather than upon the God of peace, come what may. I feel these last two months have been a 60-day traffic jam, where many of us have put the vehicle in park. And the loss of control over when we will move and how fast we will move, and if we will ever arrive at some of the places we were trying to get to, I mean, maybe we've tried to play it cool at times, but, but I think for many of us it has been anxiety-inducing, if not terrifying. And for some of us, it has exposed how much our sense of peace is tied to predictable timelines and rhythms rather than solely and fully upon God come what may. It's not for you to know the times or periods the Father has set by his own authority. And what if that is not a frustrating and terrifying response? What if that question is Jesus inviting us unto a new level of trust, not in timelines, but in Jesus? I think it's no accident that after Jesus does not give the time, the disciples are shortly thereafter gathered in the upper room, and in Acts chapter 1, verse 14, which we didn't read, but happens just after our passage, we read, all these disciples were constantly devoting themselves to prayer, together with certain women, including Mary, the mother of Jesus, as well as his brothers. Without any guarantees about timing, the disciples see afresh their profound need for and dependence upon the author of time, the one who alone orders their days, the potentate of time. For me, something about the impossible traffic jam on I-35 ironically felt so right, even though I was a mess. It felt like the examination was beginning two hours earlier than expected, and the question was from God, and the question was this. Will you, as a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ, trust me with your heart, mind, body, and soul, regardless of how or when things may happen? Will you let me be your peace, come what may. Planning and timelines, they are helpful and good God-given tools, but I think one reason the time is not given by Jesus is that it is an invitation to trust Jesus foremost, regardless of when things do or do not happen. The second reason I think Jesus does not give the time is because he wants the disciples, he wants us, to lean into a gift they could never have asked for or imagined. When I would ask, are we there yet, from the back of the car, I always had in, uh, in mind a vision of what there looked like. I could, I could see Hilton Head Island. I could smell the soft palmettos. I could feel the ocean breeze, just so. 
It was a vision of future Hilton Head Island based on all of my previous visits to Hilton Head Island. Not a bad assumption, quite natural actually. In fact, I think most of us, when we ask, are we there yet? Is it time to return to this or to that? Is it now time to, to return to, to school or church or the business or the family rhythms or, or the life rhythms? I think we generally have an image of, of what once was and, and so will be again soon or in a month or, or two or, or, or three. Or Is it time for the past experience to be the thing we have again? The disciples certainly had a vision for future Israel based on past Israel. As we heard before, glorious Israel, where Israel was a light to all the nations. In fact, the nations were, were seen as coming to the light in order to honor the Lord Almighty. And they're hoping it's finally time for that vision that they could undoubtedly see and smell and feel down into their bones for generations, for that to come to fruition. And Jesus responds for, to their vision with this. First, it's not for you, to time, for you to know the times. And then, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. In other words, the very power that raised Jesus from the grave, the Holy Spirit, it shall be upon you, church. And rather than worry about what time it is, here is the vision at hand. Be my witnesses. Here, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Jesus' response doesn't have a word about forming the kingdom of Israel like the glory days of, of David. In fact, Jesus turns the beloved vision inside out. Rather than, than speaking of how all the nations shall come to the nation state of, of Israel and worship the Lord God, he speaks about all of the followers of God, of Jesus going out unto the nations, to the ends of the earth. And the phrase, to the ends of the earth, it is significant because it clearly signals Jesus envisions the disciples ministering to and alongside Gentiles, people of every race, ethnicity, religion. It's a far more diverse and expansive sense of God's kingdom and where it will take place and among whom it will take place than, than the one that unfolded in the time of King David. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. What if sometimes we imagine a vision for when things return? As a church, as a people, as, as a nation, as a world. And right now, Jesus has a word for us about the Holy Spirit who is upon us this moment. What if sometimes we imagine a vision for, for what it will be like when things return? And, as, and Jesus has a word for us, stop, stop looking unto the sky. The Holy Spirit is upon you, and I have for you a task, a call, a word, an action, a forgiveness, a grace to do right this moment as witnesses. What if we sometimes imagine a vision for how things will look one day or be one day, and Jesus has a vision for what our, uh, our future gatherings and life together will be like, and it is far more diverse and expansive, honestly, than anything we could have known to ask for or imagine. Think for a moment of one of the dearest visions you have for the future, for yourself, for your family, for the church. Perhaps like the disciples, it's a vision of something quite holy and glorious and good, perhaps something even you've 
you've once seen. And what if on this day we all held our visions with outstretched hands before Jesus and invited him to take them and return unto us his vision? Would we do it if we knew he might turn our vision inside out? As he does with the disciples in Acts chapter 1. As he did with death itself. I think we remain somewhere on I-35. With the traffic loosening up just a bit. There's some more movement around society and the world. Even as it's very much stop and go. As we seek to take wise measures throughout this process. But always, if you're like me, when the vehicle begins to start just a bit again, we cannot help but start to wonder, when? What's next? Are we there yet, almost? And on one hand, Jesus says it's not for us to know the times, but then the other thing Jesus' response makes clear is that in another sense, it's, it's always the time. Today, while the traffic is stop and start at best, the kingdom of God is at hand. Today, Jesus declares, you are filled with the Holy Spirit. Be my witnesses. Step in faith with the next right thing. And therein discover the vision I am placing in your hands. It's, it's, it's one you would not even have even known to ask for or imagine. How shall we witness to love right in the midst of the stop and go traffic? What is the next step for us, the witnesses, empowered by the faithful Holy Spirit.